From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Wednesday, May 20th. Today, in a city like Los Angeles, where renters make up about 64% of the population, you don't hear much sympathy for landlords, but not all of them are of the same variety. Some are mom and pop landlords, people who may own one or two properties and keep afloat with the rent provided by their tenants. If that's the kind of landlord you prefer, you know, instead of a corporation that owns dozens or even hundreds of properties, then know this, coronavirus isn't just hurting renters, it's putting mom and pop landlords in danger. Daryl Marshak owns a small complex in Mid-City and is all for the anti-eviction and rent control edicts passed by the Los Angeles City Council to help tenants out right now. But he argues landlords like him need help too. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. So, Daryl, I know a lot of times when people talk about landlords, they talk about mom and pop landlords, but people assume that's like a colloquial phase or informal, but actually it's a specific designation. Can you talk about that? Well, I learned about it from the uh, Housing Authority Commission that, you know, there's landlords and then institutional landlords and then there's mom and pop landlords and mom and pop landlords live on their property and, you know, have one unit as I do, and rent out their back units or what are they called? Additional units in the back, which uh, Governor Newsom so proudly uh, wrote into law or Garcetti, one of the two. So describe your property. Uh, How big is it? Where is it in Los Angeles? All that good stuff. Okay. So I'm on Carmona Avenue, 1767 Carmona. I'm on a dead end street. I'm south of Venice Boulevard in Midtown. Uh, it's called Mid-City, actually. And it's an up-and-coming neighborhood. When I moved in in 215, uh, it was still a little sketchy. Uh, Herb Wesson was still letting motorhomes park on Venice, and it seemed a little se- seedy. But I took care of that one and got everyone, you know, into lots and everything. What a mess that was. And I noticed that the area, especially north of Venice, is million-dollar houses. So you haven't been a landlord that long then, a mom and pop, basically about five years. So before coronavirus, describe your experience. Were you more Mr. Furley or Fred Mertz? <laughs> well, if I'm thinking about the Fred Mertz on on, on I Love Lucy, then yes. I, I think I was, a, a, I thought I knew it all, but I don't know nothing. It, it's a full-time job. I had no idea it would be. What are some of the tasks that you've learned to do over the years? Oh, plumbing, heating, air conditioning. And of course, I have to call in people, you know, to do all that stuff. And, you know, I kind of go by the seat of my pants. Maybe if I wasn't in the entertainment business, I would have been a great kind of engineer or something. But it's been trial by fire. I had to learn everything And I still am learning, you know, and it's still when someone calls me, like someone did call me during the virus and said their hot water ran out. Now, I know it could have been a hot water heater. It could have been a lot of different things. But between my time and paying a plumber, you know, it cost a couple of thousand dollars and we figured it out and we fixed it. And now that person's late on their rent by a month. 
Yeah, so it, I I would assume it changes the dynamics. One, it's one thing if you're a landlord and you don't see these people, you only see the check that they send or nowadays online transaction via PayPal or something. But it's quite another thing when you're living right there on the property, seeing these people daily and not just seeing them, interacting with them. And on top of that, you're the landlord. And I'm their friend. So I try to keep the landlord thing separate, you know, and ask if they need help or, you know, help with the groceries or the plants and, you know, telling the gardener not to blow stuff into their, you know, into their side of the gardens. And it's a community more than a, than just, you know, as I sit in an office and collect checks. I wish it was that easy. I thought it was that easy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then, of course, on top of it just being hard enough to be a landlord, then coronavirus hits. When do you think to yourself, "Uh uh-oh, not only are my renters not going to be able to afford their rents, but then I'm not going to be able to afford my mortgage because I'm not getting that rent. Well, that happened March 9th. I know the exact date. I knew it was happening because I went to China in November for 10 days on a um, exploratory interview to help Chinese artists assimilate into, you know, Los Angeles art scene. In other words, filmmaking and television. And when I got back, I got deathly ill for three weeks. I didn't know what I had, but a friend of mine said I had the Asian flu. Well, I've heard of the Asian flu. And then come December, January, I started hearing about this coronavirus. I started calling my boss contact person in Guangzhou, and um, I knew something was going to happen, and I knew, you know, if we're going to shelter in place, how are people going to be able to pay their rents? And even if you told me I can't throw them out, I wouldn't. That's not American of me. That's not civil. That's not humanitarian of me. There's a world pandemic, and you saw it coming because my boss couldn't get out of uh, Guangzhou because we were both going to go to a big award ceremony, the Oscars, and I invited her, and uh, she couldn't get out. And believe me, she wanted to get out. And then I knew something was serious. And I knew it, you know, just before, I don't know when the Oscars were, sometimes early February, I knew then something was really bad about to happen. You know, and I made sure, I'm on a fixed income, by the way, and I have a disability. Well, two, actually, a heart and lung thing. So it was all like, oh, no. And I didn't panic, though, because I knew I wasn't the only guy in the boat here. There were a million boats out there, and everyone had their own story to, you know, a greater or lesser degree than mine. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content. So at what point, Daryl, do your tenants start coming to you and say, hey, I'm going to have trouble paying my rent? They already have. So most of my tenants are about a month and a half behind, and they've been very generous. But I tell them if they need medicine or food, 
protected, you know, forget about me. Because what I've done, but I don't have the protections like Newsom and Garcetti are giving to renters. I have to go to some place in, you know, Missouri and explain to them what's going on. And they give me this thing called a forbearance plan. And a forbearance plan is just, you know, you don't have to pay for three months, but after three months, you have to pay the entire amount. That's ridiculous. So any money they give me, I'm putting away. And then I just got a letter and I've been researching it about how Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are now doing suspend and extends, which I've been screaming for ever since it started. In other words, suspend my payment and add it on to the end of the contract. Give me three months, give me six months. Do what you're doing for the renters, but just give me a hiatus and extend my contract. Very simple, but this forbearance thing doesn't make any sense. It's like, okay, you owe, otherwise we're going to foreclose on you. And you got to pay, let's say you're, you know, payment is 7500 a month and you hold on to it for three months. You got to come up with twenty two five. That's a lot of money to come up with. Now, hopefully you're saving it and banking it. What do you think, at least from the renter side, what do you think about the policies like no eviction, no rent increases during this pandemic? I support it 100%. It's not their fault. I have the greatest tenants in the world, hardworking people, but they're not on the high end. They don't have big executive jobs, you know, events planner, a secretary, a guy who works as a box boy, you know, a waitress, a carpenter. These people have no protection. They would be considered the working poor, even though they probably make 50, 60, 80,000 a year. Wow. I, and then, you know, so much of what the lawmakers have been pushing for is to protect renters. But, you know, you're starting to see some sort of at least proposals to help out landlords like this California State Senate. They want to do something that, you, you know, landlords can forgive rent if and in turn they'll get tax credits from the state. What do you think about that proposal? I don't like that at all because cash is cash. You know, everyone goes, that's tax deductible. Well, you have to have the money to pay for a tax deductible piece, uh, you know. You don't get a deductible unless you have the money to deduct. You know, I have maybe two months worth of my mortgage put aside on my savings because I'm on a fixed income. So that goes and that's it. I mean, I can't, I don't need tax credits. What would you like to see then coming from both the city and the state and even the federal government to help out mom and pop landlords? Because, you know, the big landlords, we're talking about like the Irvine Company, other humongous, they're not going to have an issue. But of course, you just mentioned that you only have two months savings worth for your mortgage. After that, you're also out of a house as well. Right. Because what renters don't understand is that I pay the gardening, I pay the insurance and you have to have umbrella and you have to have flood because I'm by the creek. Bologna Creek. And, you know, you have to have earthquake and liability, you know, and then there's taxes and, you know, that's very high. You know, that's where our state gets all its money. So how do we, you know, you can't say I'm not going to pay taxes, you know, my property taxes because I can't afford it, but that that's what pays everything else. So it's a real quagmire, but this forbearance plan is like, okay, Great, you won't report me to the credit people. But I like the modification plan and I like the repayment plan. Those are two things that I hear now being offered by uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. 
It's reinstatement, repayment plan, forbearance, modification, and then, of course, short sale and deed in lieu of foreclosure. But that means you just don't like your place. <laughs> but I'm for modification, uh, suspend and extend, which is an entertainment term, by the way. You know, when, when projects have a death or something on it, they stop it and they suspend and extend everybody. You know, and I understand if the, the the loan needs some kind of servicing piece to it, or I have to, I should pay my just my taxes because I have my taxes uh, impounded, so I don't have to get a big tax bill at the end of the year because I pay the most expensive taxes in the land, twelve thousand dollars a year. Finally, though, especially out in the media, out among the public, there's always so much sympathy for renters who are not going to be able to afford rent. And there's not too much paid attention to landlords, especially maybe you hear a little bit about the mom and pop landlords. So make a case for why the public should also care about the plight of mom and pop landlords like yourself when it comes to the coronavirus. Well, here's the bottom line. If I have to sell, some person comes in that has backing or a company, like you said, like one of those big Irvine companies. What they do, and I see it's going around uh, my neighborhood, they plow down, they build as much as they can, and they charge the most amount of rent. So everyone gets thrown out. And yes, maybe they get a pittance from, uh, you know, from the state or something. But, you know, regardless, you need a place to live. So even if they give you twenty, thirty thousand, what's that going to do? You know, it gets you into a first and a last of a high-end place. And rents, instead of being where my rents are from, you know, 1000 to $2,500, you are going to go seeing rents, and that's for, you know, single to two-bedroom. You're going to see rents going from, you know, 4000 for a studio or 3500 for a studio up to 5000 for a two-bedroom. And that's what happens. They buy up. They, I constantly get letters and notes. We'll buy your place. You know, those are kinds of things. The mom and pop landlord is a place to have a community. And it's a place to get decent, reasonable rent and personalized service. Because we live on the property. You don't think at two in the morning I get calls? Daryl, there's a leak. Okay, I'll come over. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me. I read them all. Gustavo.ariano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Ariano. Our producers are Paige Heimsen and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Epen. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.